This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Voy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I'm here today with Mike Potter from Rewind. Hey, Mike. How are you? Hey, good, Kevin. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Um, hey, Mike. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background, maybe about where you grew up? and then we... Yeah. So uh, I'm originally from Ottawa, Canada, which is uh, home of Shopify. Uh, I went to school here, went to high school uh, here. Uh, I left to go to university down near Toronto came back after graduation and I've been in Ottawa ever since. Uh, can you explain to users what Rewind is a little bit? Yeah, so Rewind is a backup application for SaaS uh, software. So we protect uh, individual accounts for people using software like Shopify, BigCommerce, QuickBooks Online. We recently announced support for Rewind for MailChimp. And we're gonna be um, essentially the backup for any SaaS tool that, uh, that a business is using to run their, to run their company. So this is clearly a, a tech or software type of company. Is your background in software engineering programming? Is that where you went to college for? I went to school for mechanical engineering. And when I was going to school, so this was sort of late uh, 90s, the internet was just you know coming about. And so I started doing programming and web design on the side, you know, as a summer job between school. I'm a big curler, so for those, uh, for those of you watching or listening who are into curling, I'm a big curler. And so back then in, in 99, um, 98, uh, the Canadian Curling Association, so that's the sort of the national curling association here in Canada, didn't really have a good web presence. And so I, I approached them and I said, you know, I'd like to, um, I'd like to build your website basically and, and do scoring at the national championships and, and things like that. And so they sent me to uh, to an event, the Olympic Curling Trials in 1997. Oh, wow. uh, so it was the first event that we ever that they ever did live scoring at. And the thing that I built was so popular. On Monday, it was crashing because everyone was at work refreshing, trying to get all the scores. And I called our hosting provider, and they said, "You know, you guys are on fire. This is more popular than any of our porn sites that we've got that we're hosting. It's crazy." <laughs> and so. From then on, I, I sort of worked on that on my own. Um, and that was sort of my first business that I ever started, really, doing that website. And they hired me for a couple of years doing consulting. And eventually, um, I moved on. But uh, but they've continued to obviously do really, really well online. Wow, that's crazy. And then sort of with that website, what 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 happened to it? Did you guys sort of, is it still running? Is it just, did the company just acquire it, or essentially? Yeah, so that was, it's still running. So it's the website for the national, like the national association, yeah. right? So it's their their website. I had built it to the point where they were able to basically manage it themselves and they could hire a team of people to run the online scores. Um, and I didn't really want to work for them full time. And so after a few years, um, after graduation, I just said, sorry, I'm, I'm going to look for something else. And, and, and I, I moved on. But that was sort of, you know, me teaching myself computer programming, on the side as a hobby while I was going to school for mechanical engineering. And I remember going back to the Dean and saying like, I wanted to switch from software engineering to, or sorry, from mechanical engineering to software engineering. He's like, look, like you're, you're one semester away from graduation, like just finish up, you know, teach yourself what you need to know in terms of programming 
and um, you don't you've, you've got a degree in engineering you're not going to need a degree in software engineering and so I, I graduated from mechanical engineering but have been working with software and product management product marketing for for basically my whole career yeah sort of I mean I've had that same experience too where you know I, I, I mean I went to college for computer science but you know once you're sort of in that computer science sort of tech even I did some some engineering stuff as well in college but I would I just stuck to software and then that's sort of what I've been doing ever since as well and then sort of after that after you graduate college you know what was like just sort of your first job essentially in in that sort of space was it something related to like e-com or anything like that at all so when I graduated I I was still contracting with them so that was I was sort of running my own business working for them like doing the website and stuff like that and then when I left I worked for a company um, in Ottawa doing, um, we're doing like an internet appliance. You probably wouldn't remember this because this is showing my age, but back in the early 2000s, internet appliances were going to be like the next big thing. And so we were building a piece of software to run on all these internet appliances. And it was actually based on the Mozilla web browser. So mm. we built this entire system um, on top of Mozilla and, um, and it had, you know, all these different applications like a media player, uh, an address book, uh, obviously the web browser, an email client. Um, we ended up building a calendar application for this sort of internet appliance. And then we open sourced that and that became the Mozilla calendar project. Um, so mm -hmm. I ran that project for a little while, but that was sort of out of university. Like my first job working for somebody else was working at this company called OE1 that was doing um, computer programming for these internet appliances that were going to take over the world. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. I guess I want to go, I want to jump a little forward, you know, when did you start that entrepreneurial itch to sort of start your own thing? You know, how did that sort of come about? I mean, I've always sort of had that in me before I worked for the Canadian Curling Association. I had started another company for one summer and then I ran my own company there for the Canadian Curling Association. So I've already, like, I've always wanted to run my own company. I've, I've done it since mm -hmm. university. Um, and so Rewind Now is my fourth company that I've started. I've run two startups um, and then two sort of smaller companies back when I was in university. So it's always, it's always just been something that I've done. Since this is your fourth company, I guess, what have you learned or made better since, I guess, that first company that you first started? I think there's definitely yeah. a lot of... Yeah. I mean, we've improved a lot, right? I mean, and I think that's part of what, what you need to do is you need to get out there and, and just do things and fail and learn from them. You know, we've got this saying at Rewind that as long as people are trying and making mistakes, then there's not a problem, right? It's, you got to try stuff, you got to learn, you got to be, uh, you got to be making mistakes because otherwise, you're, you know, you're not trying hard enough and you're not learning. Um, you know, if you're making the same mistake over and over, then you you know, that's a different issue. But if you're not making one or two mistakes when you're trying to start something out, you're, you're really just not trying hard enough. So, you know, what, what I've learned, I think definitely doing it with somebody else is a lot easier than doing it on your own. That was certainly something that I found in the last two startups that I've ran. So the first one I ran on my own, the second one, I've got a co-founder, James, um, that's been with me since the start. Um, and we started the company together. So that's been very, very helpful recruiting and finding great people I think is always important and we've really tried to do that here at Rewind where we're trying to build a great team of people around us so far we've been able to stick to that up to the you know 20 21 22 people that we are today with a co-founder it's super helpful to just have somebody there with you to sort of start the company you know talk, bounce back ideas is that something that you you would recommend to other entrepreneurs to find a partner yeah I think it's really important to get somebody else you know when we were first starting 
I had approached James. We were working on another idea at the time, and I approached James. I said, "You know, this other idea that we're doing is—it's not going anywhere. Let's do backups for for Shopify." And he was like, "You know, why would anyone? Why would anyone need to back up Shopify? It's in the cloud." And I said, ah, "You know, I did a little bit of research. I looked in the forums, and it looks like you know people people are need to back up their software. So if some accident happens, things get deleted. You can't just call Shopify support." and get them to, you know, undo the mistake or undelete the products or things like that. And when we were first starting, it was really helpful to have two people working on it because, you know, I would do a little bit of something and then, and then I'd, you know, go to bed or whatever. And then I'd wake up the next morning and he's done a little bit more. And, and there's that sort of peer pressure between the two of you that's pushing you to continue to work on it. Whereas when it's on your own, you really need to have that self-discipline to keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself to keep working on it, even though, you know, your kids are, are asking you to, to put them to bed or your wife wants to watch a movie or your buddies want to go and play hockey or like whatever you've got in your life that's going on, right? You, you yep. need somebody that's like, oh, like if you just do a little bit every day when you're just getting started, you can start to get some traction. And then as you get results, it, it sort of becomes like, oh, like now we're seeing something. But when you're first starting out, it's really, really tough because, you know, you don't have any customers. You're working on this idea that might or might not work. And there's all sorts of distractions and things that, you know, you could be doing other than working on this crazy idea. And so having somebody there to help push, I think, is a big deal. Yeah, and so that's I, been super helpful. Yeah, I think it's super important to just have a partner or, or just, yeah, even for us here, I, we have, I have a partner and we just, in the beginning, you just push each other exactly what you said. They're doing some a little bit, even though you might not be as motivated that day, it pushes you to be like, okay, like I'm going to do a little bit more today because I know that they're also putting in the work, even though it's nothing yet because you both care about it so deeply. And it just really helps you on, on that journey to, you know, build that company that you both want to build. Um, exactly what you said. And because some days you just, I mean, I know for some, for me too, some days you just don't want to do anything in the beginning, especially when you have no customers and there's no one depending on you to really make anything essentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, you know, that's really the, the crux of how, how you get started in all this is you just start, right. And you mm -hmm. just have to keep going at the start when nothing's happening, you just got to push through it a bit. And, you know, we gave that first idea that we were working on that I talked about that there really wasn't going anywhere we gave that six months, right? And I think you need to give it some time, but at, at some point too, you have to look and say, okay, like this really isn't going anywhere and how much more should we be pushing on it? And so you, having somebody there to just sort of have those discussions and bounce ideas off, like you said, and push you to, to you know, work on something when there's so many other things that you could be doing with your time, I think has been, yeah, super valuable. Like I couldn't, we definitely wouldn't be successful if either yeah. one of us had tried this on our own. Uh, yeah, perfect. And then sort of, you know, after that six months, I'm really interested in knowing how did you guys first get your first initial customers? It's kind of interesting because it's kind of like what you were saying before. I've never thought about a backup for like my SaaS stuff, like my MailChimp, my Shopify, uh, my big commerce store, you know, that's something very new to me. But like when I read your, when I read about your website and read about your app, it's like, Oh, this makes sense. But how did you guys get your first initial customers to try your product? Yeah, so we initially came up with the idea by just going through the Shopify forums really and looking at what people were talking about. Um, you know, we had the idea for backup. So we were sort of looking for, you know, was Shopify backup a thing that people needed? So it wasn't like we were just randomly going through the forums, right? We were specifically looking for, 
people that were asking about backup or people that had lost data and they were wondering about how to recover it. And as you did this research in the forums, you became apparent that, you know, even the CSV export that a lot of people were doing wasn't working properly, right? So that CSV export that a lot of people use, I think, as their backup and what Shopify instructs people to do to back up their software, most people, after they had a problem, were finding out that that CSV wasn't importing any of their images, right? So it's the product details, it's the title and the description, but the images were being deleted when the product was being deleted. And so if that product was deleted and they imported that CSV file, the images weren't coming back. And and so that was sort of eye-opening for us when we first got started. And then, you know, we just, we built the app, we built a little prototype as, as quick as we could. We put it into the app store, we published it, um, and we were getting customers right away. But people were like, oh man, I, I so needed this, right? And so yeah. as soon as we installed, as soon as we made it available in the app store, people found it. It was highlighted from, you know, Shopify as one of the new apps. People started installing it. And as they started installing it and, and running into problems and seeing that the product really worked, they added, you know, reviews. We were prompting people for a lot of reviews at that point. So they would review the software that would in turn um, increase the ranking of the of Rewind in the App Store. So more people would see it. So more people would install it. And again, as more people installed it and had problems, they would leave reviews. So we got more reviews and it just became the sort of cycle of, of you know, driving to one of the top apps in the tool section in the App Store. And going on this, yeah, because I, I think the app is so amazing and it totally makes sense. Like here we work with a ton of e-commerce companies and it's so funny that you said this because just... Uh, two days ago, we had a call with one of our clients and she accidentally deleted like a, a duvet cover that they're selling because they want to change the color. And then yep. that caused a bunch of, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, like when you change a URL on Shopify, it like automatically does like 301 redirects, but she deleted it and then completely made it a new one. So all the yep. 301 redirects internally on Shopify were messed up. So there's yep. no way for her to go back and recover it. So we spent almost 30 minutes on the phone just trying to find all the four or four errors because we just couldn't there was linked everywhere and it was a complete mess <laughs> i mean we we hear those stories all the time right like people making mistakes and, and the unfortunate part about our software in some ways is that a lot of times people are coming to us after they've had the problem right so they don't know that that shopify you know can't recover the products like if you delete something in shopify it's gone forever um and you need a product like rewind before the problem happens so for the most part, in a lot of cases, unfortunately for us, we get customers after they've had issues. But if we're lucky enough, you know, people people who've had problems either on on WordPress or other applications, um, other websites, and things like that, they know it's a problem. They're actively looking before that problem happens. It works out really well for us because we can recover. Like in that situation, we would have been able to recover that product exactly the way it was before it was deleted. And then Mike, have you guys ever, I'm not sure if you guys ever talked to Shopify, but I think, I think this would be interesting because you kind of see it in other stuff like GoDaddy or even like Namecheap where they have like beginning partners. I'm not sure what it's called, but like partner channels where when you're creating your website, there's like, oh, here are these apps that you can use on your, on your domain, on your website. Is that something that Shopify you think would it maybe implement? That way, you know, when a new store is creating a, when a, when a, sorry, when a new customer is creating a new store, it could be like automatically back up and it automatically installs your app. Is that something that you guys have talked to Shopify about? Um, yeah, we've had, we've had uh, ideas like that. I, I you know we're really, 
happy to work with Shopify. They do an amazing job at directing people to um, to our application, and I think you know the App Store in general. Um, there's a lot of really very successful businesses that are running on top of the App Store, um, like Bold Commerce, for instance, just raised um, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars um, to to grow even faster, right? And, and that's how they started was was on the App Store, and we know lots of other people that are doing very very well. So. Shopify's done an amazing job at um, at directing traffic to us and ensuring that their customers are aware of the solution. Um, we work closely with uh, with them. We work with the Shopify Plus team as well to make sure that you know the account managers and merchant success managers know that um, that you know we're protecting some of the largest Plus stores as well. We've got we've certainly got ideas like that, um, and I can't really speak to whether that's coming down the pipeline or not, but. Um, I hope you know, so. I hope it is. The my... idea of, yeah, the idea of getting in front of the problem is certainly something that, that we know is an issue and we're really trying to uh, actively fix that problem. But yeah, I think it's like exactly what you said. I think it's one of those things where you don't realize you need a backup until it's too late. And, right. and for me, like personally, I have three backups of everything because I lost data once and now I'm just like, I don't ever want to deal with that again. I back up my phone, I back up my computers all synced to the cloud. It's worth the price of like, let's say for example, I think iCloud's like a hundred a year or something. And I'm like, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think that's what we see a lot is people who have lost data before. I mean, I've lost data. Like I've had my hard drive crash on me and lost everything that's on it. And if you've gone through that painful experience, you really know that you, you know, you'll do anything to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And the people who aren't are, I mean, it's going to happen to everybody at some point, you're going to lose your stuff. It's just a matter of whether you're smart enough in the first place to have a backup or whether you were taking the chance to say, hey, you know what, it's not going to happen. Eventually it happens to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and once it happens once you're never going to make the mistake again. Right. <laughs> um, right. Mike, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, kind of like how you guys think about, you know, your product roadmap. And um, obviously you're, you start off with Shopify. When did you guys think of like to expand or to move to other sort of, you know, platforms? About a year after we launched for Shopify, Big Commerce actually approached us and, and said, can you guys build Rewind for Big Commerce? Because our customers have the same problem, right? I think it's important to note that the problem that we're solving for Shopify store owners is not a Shopify problem. I don't want, I don't want people out there thinking like, Oh, I, I can't believe Shopify doesn't back up. I should move to a platform X. Um, this is a problem with almost every piece of SaaS software that's out there. Um, and so it's not a Shopify specific problem. And so big commerce came to us about a month, about a year later and said, can you build rewind for big commerce? We did that. Our customers were then asking us to protect their financial information. And so we started backing up QuickBooks online um, about a year ago. And we've had a lot of people request um, support to back up their email marketing tools. So we just launched Rewind for MailChimp about uh, about a week or two ago. And we're working on support for Rewind for Klaviyo. Um, and so that should be launching in the next uh, two months or so. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I I've deleted so much stuff from my MailChimp that it's so funny because we, we wanted to delete and then I just like keep backups of my CSV files for MailChimp in case I ever need them again. <laughs> and then so importing those becomes like, like the backing up is, is fairly easy, right? But the restoring stuff is actually quite difficult. And so, it, you know, until you've gone through the process of actually importing that CSV file, 
you're not you're not 100 sure that it's actually going to work and it might not be bringing back all the stuff that you that you need it to be bringing up mailchimp's a really interesting one actually because you, it not a lot of people know but if you edit the sign up form for instance it'll actually delete that field from like if you delete a field from the sign up form it'll delete a field from the list mm. and that catches people by surprise right so you're deleting something you know way over here and then it it affects your members list which you weren't necessarily expecting so we've heard some really unfortunate horror stories for mailchimp customers but we're like i said we're, we're backing all that stuff up now and so you've got customers that, that yeah. are using mailchimp certainly use rewind to back up both shopify and mailchimp with like all these sort of you know since you have to like back up for every sort of uh, every sort of tool you know, how does that work with like your internal, I guess, development? Do you have like certain teams for each sort of tool? And then does, does it, have you built like sort of some sort of internal API that, you know, they all sort of speed the data and then you sort of manipulate it from there? Is that sort of like something you guys think about like your engineering side of it? Yeah, so, you know, architecting this solution has been, has been challenging for sure, especially since we started, you know, we weren't planning this sort of a big SaaS tool that's going to back up every other SaaS platform that's out there, right? We just built this little thing mm -hmm. for Shopify stores. And then within, you know, within a couple months, I think after launching, we had some really very large Shopify plus stores start installing our product. And that was really challenging in itself because Shopify has all sorts of limitations on how quickly we're allowed to back up data and how long it takes them to respond to us and things like that. And so we spent a lot of the first, you know, year or two, even making the system robust enough that it could handle any size store and do backups and restores as fast as Shopify will allow us to do them. That's, that was sort of what we worked on for the first, I'd say 18, 24 months of, of the company really was just iterating on the one system after another system, after another system, finding problems and, and continuing to solve those. We've gotten to the point now where we can handle um, any size Shopify store. Uh, when they go to browse their data, they can search for it very, very quickly. It's instantaneous. And so what we're, what we're working on now, yeah, is really just the integration from one to the other, right? So one, one platform and being able to hit the API on that one platform and then back up everything in that with the same sort of format that we're backing up all the other stuff. So we're really trying to, it's now very consistent. And so it's literally for us just a matter of how do you write the integration into one platform um, and then into the next platform, into the next platform, et cetera. Yeah, because I think for this, like, Mike, you guys have a lot of room here for, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know the numbers, but I think there's a lot of room here for expansion revenue. You bring someone in from Shopify, you, you can possibly detect all the other apps that they're using and just say, hey, you want to back up all your other apps? Um, you know, $2 extra for each app, something like that. Yeah, exactly. And so we're, that's, that's really sort of the strategy, right? How can we back up all the other applications that people are using? So we started with Shopify, we do QuickBooks online, mm -hmm. other people, there are people using MailChimp now, people are using Klaviyo for email marketing as well. Um, we've got our eyes on Zendesk for support tickets and, and the knowledge base. Um, and so we just sort of talk to our customers and say like, okay, well, what SaaS applications are you guys using and how can we back those up? Yeah, there's so much room for expansion revenue. It's actually like crazy the way, when if I'm thinking about it, the way you guys are probably thinking about it too. It's like it's just so much room because $9 here, another $9 here, you know, that $9 monthly turns into like, you know, $34 a month through all the apps. <laughs> um, perfect. You know, I mean, for us, it's just how can we make sure that a customer's 
business is protected, right? Yep. I mean, clearly we think that's valuable and other people think that's valuable and um, we charge a, a fair price for the service that we provide. But for us, it's just, you know, if you're running a business, you need to make sure that the data that you've got in the cloud is protected. And so how do we, how do we do that? How do we make sure that, you know, everything's protected, not just your store, but you know, your, your support chats or your, or your help documentation or all the automations that you've got going out in MailChimp, like all that stuff is all super important. And if any of it had a problem, you know, your, your business would be in a lot of trouble. So it's really what our focus is, just how do we protect our customers' businesses? Yeah, it's, it's such a good idea. I mean, I love this business model. It's so good. Have you guys raised money, you know, gone to venture capitalists? Is this something that, you know, you guys sort of thought about for even yourself did you, or did you, are, are you guys all bootstrapped? We, um, we were mainly bootstrapped for the first uh, three years or so of the company. Um, we, we had raised a, a very, very small amount of money, um, mainly to get some government funding and just accelerate a couple of hires, but nothing really significant. And then last October, uh, we, we decided to raise a very uh, small amount of money to accelerate our growth a little bit so that we could hire a few more people and, and grow a bit quicker. Our philosophy on that has always been, you know, to grow at a reasonable rate um, where profitability is, uh, is, is very much in the table, right? So we're not growing at, at, an, at a rate where we need to raise more money in the very near future. Um, we're growing at a rate where we'll be profitable in the next couple of months. And then once you're profitable, it gives you options on, you know, whether you want to raise money or whether you want to um, not raise money we're never in a situation where we need to raise money in order to keep the company alive. We're, we're in a situation where we might raise money because we see an opportunity that we want to take advantage of. That's potentially, you know, something that we're looking at for later this year. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay, perfect. And then I have a few more questions for you, Mike, you know, how do you kind of see the status of like e-commerce right now? Like something like Shopify, big commerce, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on that ecosystem there? I mean, I, like, I don't know what else to say other than it's growing, it's, yep. it's continuing to go crazy. I don't think it's nearly reached its peak. I think more people are moving, uh, they're shopping online. I think it's in some ways, I think it's a bit unfortunate. Um, and I, I partially what I've been thinking is that the, the physical stores have really done such a poor job of cutting back on customer service that there's really no difference now between going into a store and, and shopping online because it's not like when you go into most stores, you're getting that much help anyway. Certainly the stores that I see that are sticking around are the ones that are providing the best customer service and the ones that are shutting down are the ones where you're like, yeah, that didn't surprise me at all because every time I've gone in there, no one's been available to help me. And so I think, you know, from a retail standpoint, a lot of the big companies that I've seen have really focused on cutting costs to the point where it's really ruined their business. The online stores continue to do well. Um, we have, you know, we see a wide variety of stores uh, across a bunch of different platforms here. And so there's definitely stores out there that are doing amazingly well. I don't see it slowing down at all in the next little while. I think, I think Shopify has got a huge opportunity in front of them. You know, they're up to, I think, 800,000 stores now. I don't see I don't see any reason why that would be slowing down. I think there's all sorts of people out there that are really trying to trying to make it work and, and trying to sell stuff online. And there's more people that are getting more comfortable with buying stuff online. I think the one you know the one area that you know you and I were talking about before we got on this was you know the the drop shipping stores and the people that are getting into it that are thinking 
that they can start a store and it'll be easy and, and they'll, um, they'll find success right away. That's, that's just not the case. And so there'll be this period, I think, where people realize how difficult it is. But if you can get through that and you can get some customers and start to grow, um, you, can, you can definitely be on a, a really good path to success. I mean, and, you know, we, we see stores that are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue on any platform on Shopify. So it's, yes. it's, there's definitely success stories out there. Yeah, for sure. It's e-commerce is getting bigger and bigger, but like since platforms like Shopify, big commerce and, you know, have made it very easy for, you know, essentially store owners or new business owners to get on there that has also raised the game on how shopping online should evolve and the product quality. And similar to what you were saying before, you know, with retail, it's not about, you know, people going to the retail anymore. It's about that retail experience and other brands have made this sort of happen. A good example is Casper, you know, they go there, but you don't go there to buy the beds. You go there to just try the beds, look at the experience that they're going to give you. And even Bonobos sort of did this as well, where you can go there to try the clothing, but you can't buy it there. You have to then order online, but it's experience because that customer service rep there knows that they're just there to help you and really find that clothing that you might want to give you the best fit. I think in the next few years, I mean, it, it might be, you know, maybe few is a, is a bit of a stretch, but I do think that there's going to be this sort of real change in, in retail. That's going to, you're going to have to create those experiences, right? Like I, I don't know, I look at a toy store and I'm like, you go, my kids go into the toy stores, like whether it's toys or us, it's shutting down now or whatever. And all the toys are in boxes. It's like, I'd love for somebody to create a toy store where everything's out of the boxes, the kids can try it, they can play with it. You can go to the toy store. It's like this whole experience. And at the end of it, you can be like, wow, my kid really enjoyed playing with that. And I'd like to buy that. And you know, you can order it, it'll ship it right to your house, or maybe you walk out with it because it's back in the warehouse or something like that. But you, people are going to have to change the retail experience in order to get people back in back into the stores because Otherwise, I don't see why anyone's anyone's going to change what they're doing right now. Most people are shopping online. And I think that example of Casper is kind of a good example, right? Where you're going in, you're trying the mattress and there's certain, obviously there's a certain value in being able to try that mattress before you, you know, take it and sleep on it. But then you get the experience of like, it ships right to your house. It's easy to set up. Um, you don't have to worry about it. You're still buying it online, but the people like there's some value in going to the store before you buy it. And I think what I'm finding more and more is that there's just, there's really not that much value in going to the store because there's nobody there that can help you. All this stuff is put away. You can't try it. You can't test it. Like what's the point? It's the same experience online, except I can get it shipped directly to my store. And in a lot of cases I can get it for less. Yeah. It's so funny that you said that because it's it, the toy example is such a good one where it's a kid's sort of environment where you want to be selling. So I think they need to be transitioned their source to more of like a Disney Disney type of experience when you go to like Disney World where it's an enhanced experience or even when you go to like one of these theme parks like Harry Potter World, you're, you're enhancing the experience and then at the end you're like, oh wow, I want to get this wand, I want to get this toy because it's now a meaningful experience tied to the experience that you just had. So it's, it, you can then essentially can charge more too because it's now your unique wand that they did something with it, for example. Right. Yeah. And so, you, you know, people are going to have to start to think outside the box and think like, okay, this isn't just a place where you go to buy something, right? I mean, people are looking for experiences and, and things to do. And so what can you do from a retail perspective to make that um, a destination for your city? And if you can make that store a destination 
and get traffic through it, then, you know, people, people will be buying stuff for sure. Yeah. I think Walt Disney is ahead of his time because Disney's Disney and this, all the Disney places are literally what exactly what you're describing. And I don't think people have realized it until now that what he did was just so magical. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Just a few more questions. What are platforms or tools that you currently use to run your business? You know, your team is about 21, 22 people. You know, how do you sort of manage that as your team got bigger from, let's say, when you were just yourself and your partner to now this 21 person team? Yeah, we use, so we use um, Slack's a big tool for us internally. Uh, I mean, we were using it when we were four as well, but Slack is certainly a, a big tool for us. I think the other one that we use a lot is um, is Intercom. So it handles all of our uh, automated emails, all of our uh, in-app support chat and stuff like that. Uh, inter- we're big fans of Intercom as well, using that. Obviously, Google Drive um, and Google uh, you know, Office, whatever you want to call it, G Suite, um, is, is something that we're constantly using. There really hasn't been a lot of tools, I'd say, that we've changed from using because we've gone from you know, two people, then four, now up to 21. A lot of the tools have, have been able to grow with us. Um, and so there's nothing I think that we're using at 21 people that we weren't using when we were, when we were four, just a couple of people working nights and weekends. Um, but those, you know, Slack, G Suite, Intercom, those, those are fantastic tools that, that we definitely, you know, have made running our business a lot easier. And I should probably say you know, the other platforms that we support as well, right? So yeah. QuickBooks Online, you know, we're using QBO. We do use MailChimp as well. Um, we've got uh, we've got a Shopify store. We don't we don't actively sell through it, but we've got a Shopify store as well. So we're obviously using the software and that uh, that we're backing up. But uh, for business running the business itself, you know, those other tools are are really fantastic. Perfect. Um, so I'm assuming in in your. Uh product pipeline we're going to be seeing a slack backup soon yeah we've considered slack backups i I think there's an interesting you know slack is is, it's a bit more difficult to to mass delete things than it is for instance in shopify and in a lot of cases conversations are uh historical things that that aren't necessarily needed to be to be preserved I, i don't find myself in a lot of cases going back to old conversations in slack so we've debated whether there's any value in backing up Slack, but um, there's, a, there's, I think, one other company that's out there that's doing it. But yeah, I mean, certainly Intercom is on our list of things that we'd like to back up. We were using Zendesk for a little bit, and so that's on our list. We use WordPress for our website. We'll be doing WordPress backups at some point. I know there's other people that do that, but we'll be doing that in the next year, I'd say. Google Docs, Office 365 are on our list. All the... You know, all the tools that an SMB is using are, are on our list for what we want to be backing up. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. Okay, and then what's some advice you give out to like a brand new entrepreneur that's just starting out? You know, it could be for a SaaS app, e-commerce store, you know, what are some advice that you would give to them, you know, that they come, if they came to you? I think, so just start, right? There's so many people that, um, that, you talk to that have good ideas. And even I remembered like James and I, when we first started this, I wasn't the first person to approach James and say, you know, let's work on something part-time. I just happened to be the first one that when I said I wanted to do something that I actually did something. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a big step. It's, you know, registering a domain name, getting a website running, whatever it is, just continue to push that project forward, right? And so as you're getting started, just do a little bit 
do a little bit, do a little bit, do a little bit, and then eventually, hopefully, you can get some traction. I think the other thing, though, that you have to be aware of is that if you are working on something and there really isn't any traction, it may be you need to set a time limit on yourself on how long you really want to stick with it, at least in my mind, right? And so you've got you've got to always be open to saying, you know what, maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's not the, a good business, right? And there's a difference between a good idea and a good business. Maybe it's not even a good idea. Maybe it's a good idea, but people don't don't need it at that time. You know, timing timing is mm-hmm. obviously really important as well. So that was what we did. We we tried something for six months. It wasn't going anywhere, and then we got onto another idea and it's turned out to be very, very successful. I would say the other part for me is don't, don't blindly continue to pour money into something that isn't working, right? At some point you do have to say, look, maybe my time is better spent working on something that, that is successful. And, and, uh, and that's so, I mean, success changes for, you know, whether it's an e-commerce platform or a SaaS application, but, you know, from an e-commerce store, I'd say if you're, you know, if you're getting anywhere in the, 20 to 100 orders a monthly basis you're you're definitely on the right path right but if you've been working on your store for months and you're seeing zero one two orders a month you may want to consider doing something different yeah and that's sort of that that's such good advice because it's so tricky to know you know when to give up or keep going and that's sort of you know that internal intuition and just internal experience of you know kind of what you said doing maybe doing previous companies just have previous experience yeah sometimes you don't when do you give up or when do you go up too little do you need what if one month from now everything changes it's such a hard choice but that's what makes entrepreneurship so exciting and fun and it's really that that drive that uh, sort of gets you and yeah then- you do need that experience i mean i think that's a good point right that like one of the reasons I knew when our first product that we were working on wasn't working out was because I'm like, look, this is exactly what happened to my last startup um, that didn't really go anywhere. Right. And so it's like, I've already seen this. So let's, this isn't traction, Mm -hmm. right. Getting a bunch of people to tell you that it's a good idea is not traction when they start using it and actively using it. That's when you've got traction. Right. And so I think it's important that whatever business you're in, you need to have some sort of, understanding about what is what is success right what is the, what is the initial success i mean everybody started somewhere right at some point you know toby and shopify had 10 customers right but yeah. you need to know what what is success for you in in your business and so like i said if it's if it's e-commerce and you're sitting there and you're like you know oh i've only got 10 orders 20 orders 30 orders you know 40 orders a month i'll, I'll tell you from what we see you're doing you're doing better than a lot of the average people. But if you're sitting there with like zero, one, two, three, four, less than 10, depending on how long you've been doing it, you might want to think about, you know, whether you want to continue working on it and, and stuff like that. But I mean, every business is different. You just have to know what is success for, for your business. And you get that, you know, by talking to other entrepreneurs and people who are in your industry and figuring out what they were like, and don't ever compare yourself to what somebody's doing now, but compare yourself to what they were doing when they just, when they first started. Yeah, that's such good advice. I think sometimes you see someone doing so well and then you're like, oh my God, how come that's not me? They don't know the 20 years maybe behind that person, the three right. other companies that they've previously started and just their expertise or just knowledge. And then another question I have for you, this is more just general question. How does it feel you know, to have like to grow from one or two people to now what 21 people working for you? How, how does that sort of make you feel? You know, that <laughs> must be exciting, I would, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm super proud of, um, of what James and I have been able to do together. 
and really the whole team, right? I mean, we were we were the first two that started it, but really early on, we had two other developers, Sean and Julian, that came with us, um, and we're working part time nights and weekends to make this work. And so you look back, uh, and it's it's amazing. It's like wow, like I remember when we were just James and I, then I remember when we were four, then I remember when we were six, and now you know we we do team lunches every two weeks, and um, and you've got twenty one, twenty two people sitting around uh, sitting around the table and having lunch together. It's a uh, it's definitely, you know, an amazing accomplishment. I think we're really super proud of, of what we've done. And we're, we're really excited about what we've got in front of us, too, because there's a huge opportunity to do this for not just Shopify, but you know, all sorts of other platforms as well. And so we're, we're kind of looking forward to what we're able to do in the next uh, 12 to 24 months as well. Yeah, that, that's so exciting. Like, I don't know, just growing a company, growing a team is just, you know, I think everybody sort of wants it as well. And then Mike, last question I have for you is, you know, where can we go to learn more about you, your store, your, your apps, uh, and maybe your story? Yeah. So rewind.io is the website. Um, there's a, there's an about us page where you can actually uh, read about how we started the company. Uh, James didn't ask me anything on, uh, on Reddit, I think it was, or, or, or AMA feed that, um, that uh, you can read as well if you're interested in sort of some of the technical backgrounds of how we actually started the company and, uh, and that. So rewind.io, um, you can go learn, uh, learn about everything related to the company. And there's links from there to, uh, to my Twitter account as well, where you could follow me. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for your time. I really appreciate it. And everybody go, please check out rewind. And you know, if you need to uh, back up your apps, your Shopify, your big commerce, your QuickBooks online, and even your MailChimp, just check out rewind. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Kevin. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.